Welcome to the Defiant Spirit, a podcast about discovering meaning, purpose, and resilience in the most challenging, difficult, and darkest moments of our lives through what my teacher and mentor, Dr. Viktor Frankl, called the defiant power of the human spirit, that spirit that is within you, that spirit that is calling to you, that spirit that is you. I'm Dr. Baruch Halevi, and this is the Defiant Spirit, and now, on to our podcast. Welcome back to the Defiant Spirit Podcast. I am Baruch Levy, also known as B, and today we are going to change gears. Um, you know, I tend to talk on logotherapy, the work of Dr. Viktor Frankl, meaning-centered, not therapy, living, healing, loving, meaning at the center of our lives. I'm a, I'm a life coach. I'm an executive coach. I'm a therapist, psychotherapist who uses this idea of logos, meaning in all of those. And I teach on the Enneagram. The Enneagram is an ancient personality system, typing system. And that to me is more of a, of a roadmap, of a system, of a tools um, to use to, to live out the meaning. But sometimes I kind of revert back to my pastoral counseling. And at least I, in the past, I used to do a lot of work around it. But it comes up with a lot of my clients in coaching and counseling um, who are tending to either um, aging parents or a spouse who's dealing with dementia, Alzheimer's, cognitive decline. It's coming up more and more. I think partially because I'm taking on more and more midlife and onwards. I call it the afternoon of life clients. In fact, I think it's exclusively at this point, afternoon of life. I at least turn to um, Carl Jung who said, afternoon of life is 40 onwards. Two podcasts recently I've done on the afternoon of life. To me, it's like 40 to 50 is somewhere when the afternoon of life begins, but it doesn't matter. Bottom line is, in the afternoon of life, we're going to have to deal with all kinds of what I call life's teas, transitions, tests, trials, traumas, tragedies. And this is one of those, ranging or starting as a transition and, you know, touching on all those teas. Because watching a loved one go into cognitive decline is one of the harder things that I've had to witness, not directly, you know, nobody in my immediate family, but certainly um extended family and friends, but also coaching and counseling lots of people who have had to tend to um, this particular issue. And I'm not going to, you know, go down a clinical path. That's really not my training, my expertise, or my value added to your life. I'm going to share with you more of a spiritual, um, emotional, spiritual strategy or two to think about as you're dealing with them. So one second. Still kind of grappling with some uh, throats, coughing throat stuff almost three months later. Okay. Neither here nor there. So I was recently talking to a client whose mother is um, now in skilled nursing facility or nursing home. I forget where, but the bottom line is I think she's in her 80s and she's well on her way down the path of dementia. And it's wreaking havoc on my client's life. I always change, by the way, names and genders and details. It's always true, but I um, owe it to the people that I work with and guide to protect their confidence. So no way you will know who this is. Plus, I work with dozens, hundreds of people during the year. Okay. um, We're going to call her Mary, and we're going to call Mary's mom, Jane. So 
<laughs> that didn't really sound right, Mary Jane. How about Mary and Joan? A little better. Okay, so Mary and Joan. Mary is really struggling, as of course we all have or would. It is really hard to watch her mother, Joan, bounce in and out of consciousness, you know, sort of presence, presence of mind. And one of the things, and I've seen this over and over again, is Joan wants out. She wants to go home. Um, this happens quite frequently. Of course it does, because in Joan's earlier years, maybe 10 years ago, five years ago, when she was lucid, quite conscious, and empowered Mary to be her, um, you know, her agent, to have agency for her to, you know, cross the board, legally, medically, she's, um, you know, she's, she's just her person. And she said to Jane, you know, I, I'm buying, um, is it not hospice, it's nursing home insurance for this reason. I've written it down in my, you know, directives, medical directives, and I'm telling you, daughter, that I want you to put me in a nursing home if and when I go down this path of cognitive decline. I think it ran in the family. I think she was sensing it was coming. And then fast forward 10 years, and now Joan, who's in that situation, she's in the nursing home, is crying on a regular basis, is yelling at her daughter, is... Um, is, it feels like she's being held somewhere against her will. And it really is painful on so many levels. I'm sure many of you know what I'm talking about, can either imagine or have gone through it. It's wreaking havoc on her because all Mary wants to do is be a good daughter. All she wants to do is uphold her mother's will. But now her mother is yelling at her. Now her mother is telling her how horrible she is for keeping her against her will, for subjecting her to this prison. She thinks she's in a prison, not a nursing home. Mary will explain to her mom that she's actually in a nursing home, and um, Joan just won't believe her. So Mary came to me and said, you know, what do I do? We have the means to pull her out. It would be difficult, if not financially, certainly lifestyle-wise. You know, do we... Um, do we just drop everything and rearrange our lives? But the truth is, is the mother, her mother's in cognitive decline and also physical decline. And it's getting harder and, you know, to the point where it will pass the point of no return where they can't do it. And they'll need somebody else to come in and take care of her, their mom. But I think that's financially not an option or certainly not probably the best use of those resources from Joan's original perspective, but that's the point. Joan designed this this way because she didn't want to spend those resources. It's not right or wrong. She had a million dollars in the bank. I don't know what it was. And she said to Mary, I don't want you to spend this down on my home health care. I want you to put me into the most affordable place you can find. I want you, I do not want my life savings, however much it was, to be used for this purpose. If somebody said that they did, God bless them. That's exactly why we have these rights and responsibilities to make our decisions ahead of time. So Joan clearly wanted the money to be spent in a particular way. She also did not want um, Joan and her sisters to take care of, sorry, Mary and her sisters to take care of their mom, Joan. She clearly did not want that in her life to be responsible for that. 
she was not important to her. She made it quite clear. So my conversation and work with Joan has been around understanding a couple things. Number one, when you are placed as somebody's executor, when you're when you're tasked with being their, you know, their their guardian and executing their will, their medical directives, their wishes, then when the moment we agree to that, both in writing, but to me more importantly, in that handshake, that hug, that that looking in each other's eyes and taking on that responsibility, mom, I, I accept this responsibility, that that is a not just a legally binding vow, that is a morally, spiritually binding vow. I, I take vows very seriously. You know, in Judaism, which is the soil out of which I come from, um, vows are not something, they're everything. That's why the High Holy Days revol revolves around Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And day, the Day of Atonement starts out with a famous liturgical service called Kol Nidre. If you don't know what it is, watch the jazz singer. Um, you'll, you'll get a good taste of it. And Kol Nidre means all of my vows. And, and what we do is we start off by looking at all the vows that we broke in the past year. Because that's the beginning of the end for us as human beings. When we violate our vows. Now, this isn't um, condemnation. I'm not saying, you know, I'm wagging my finger here saying you're a bad person for breaking our vows. We all break our vows. The question isn't whether we break our vows, little and, and big. The question is, are we able to be honest about, you know, like I made a vow and I didn't give as much in charity or I didn't, I wasn't faithful to my spouse or whatever. And I need a, a reckoning. I need to, to be honest about that. There's no greater hell in existence. In my opinion, it's only my opinion, obviously. I'm, I, I think I haven't been there before um, in a previous lifetime. But the greatest hell in life is to break your vow and then tell yourself, justify why it's either necessary or you didn't really make the vow in the first place. Right? It was Martin Luther who said, if you're going to sin, sin bravely. That's what I say to the, especially the men who I counsel and guide. Look, don't bullshit me, right? This is a space for you to tell the truth. And if you can't tell the truth to me, your guide, then you're lost. If you look in the mirror and you can't tell the truth to yourself, because that's what it's about. I don't care. Lie to me, but you're lying to yourself. And if you're lying to yourself, that's the pathway of hell, to hell. And when you start messing with vows, then um, you've lost the absolute, the, the moral compass. So I encourage everybody to come back to their vows. I'm not saying don't make mistakes. I'm not saying you shouldn't be able to make up for those mistakes. It's not even what this is about. This is about taking vows deeply seriously. So coming back to Joan, what does this have to do with Joan and Mary? Mary, Joan made Mary make a vow and Mary made the vow. And what she said was, literally or figuratively, mom, I will uphold exactly what your wishes are according to this right here, right now, stated in this paper, stated to me, both the letter of the law and the spirit of the law, in case there comes a day when you don't have agency. So, you know, that might be a cremation. I've dealt with this before where um, the, the adult child doesn't want their parent to be cremated. And however, that stated that in the will or that verbally that the parent wanted to be cremated. And, you know, in Jewish law, it's forbidden. And my response is you must cremate them. You must violate Jewish law. Why? Because you made a vow. And better to violate 
you want something's going to give here. You're going to violate one thing or the other. And better to violate a man-made ritual than a moral-made vow. Because if you violate that vow, you violated the only thing that we have, that fundamental core trust. And your mom entrusted you with this. Well, back to um, Mary. You know, what we've ta been talking about is um, go back to the vow. Don't, don't look at this circumstance. Circumstances are beyond your control, right? This is Frankel 101. We don't ever control our circumstances. The way your mom is reacting right now, and that's what it is, it's reacting, is not who she is. It's certainly not who she was when she made you swear an oath um, to take that vow and to uphold that vow. So you have two moms, and we'll get into another kind of aspect of this strategy, and that is the mom who made you vow and the mom who's asking you to break the vow. And the vow was made with the other mom, with the earlier mom, with I would call the true mom, because the woman who's yelling at you, who's calling you horrible things, who's reacting, is a version of your mom. She's pieces of your mom, absolutely unequivocally, but it's not your true mom. And I don't mean true as in, you know, true and false, good and bad. I mean, true as in complete, whole. If something is false, it just means it's not whole. It's not true. There are bits and pieces that are not true, but you can't have bits and pieces of truth. Either it's true or it's not true. Some things in life are true or not true. And when your mother is off her hinge, you know, unhinged and screaming at you and in re reaction, she is not the true mom. Pieces of her are missing or absent or disconnected. Maybe you're gone. And that's part of the process. So one is to go back and answer to your true mom, the one that you made a vow with, and use that as your, your sort of North Star in every decision you have to make. What did I vow to her? Not what do I want? Because that's where Jane is getting into so much problems. Mary. <laughs> I gotta stop making up names, but Mary. Mary's getting into so much trouble because she's caught between what her mom Joan wants now versus what she wanted then. It's And, and is she doing the right thing? There's really actually no choice. I'm not saying it's easy. And I'm not saying you won't have emotional turmoil. But what I am saying is go back to Joan, true mom, the one I made a vow with. And what do I owe her? How am I executing on her will? This isn't about Mary. That's what we talked about today. This isn't about Mary. This is about Joan. You're just the medium. You're the conduit. The one that vowed to her that in case she is incapable of doing this, you'll simply fulfill her will. Now, if her will was destructive, if her will hurt other people, if her will hurt herself, then we're in a new area of moral conversation. But that's not this. This is simply executing 101 on what her mother wanted, quite clear, which is quite lovely and beautiful that her mother gave her that gift. Because if you don't have that gift and you're trying to figure out your mother's will, that's a whole other set of, of problems. So for anybody listening, if you haven't communicated to your loved ones, both figuratively and, and you know, verbally, and also literally in writing um, and legally binding terms, do it. Do it now. Because it is hard enough, as you can hear, for the Marys of the world to execute on a clearly articulated will. It's it's destructive beyond words for now Mary to have to figure out, A, is this the right thing? And B, right, as her mother is yelling at her to get her out, is this what she would have wanted? Well, Mary's not up against that because her mother gave her that gift. Joan was thoughtful enough to do that. So it's about continuously referencing 
her true mom, the one from before. Now, along those lines, here's another kind of that sort of A. B is, in some ways, um, our modern world has failed us. Because I, I think in a time past, Joan would be gone, right? All kinds of advances in healthcare and civilization, modernity. I, I don't begrudge them. I'm not somebody who sits around waxing poetic about yesteryear. However, we're up against a whole new set of challenges because Joan would have been gone. Joan wouldn't, her life wouldn't be dragged out this long. Um, it wouldn't be this artificial, right? Where she moved, removed somebody to a nursing home. There was, there was no such thing, right? They just moved around in the village. It's complicated. And I think that one of the things that's happened is we've lost a natural rhythm to the coming and the going of life. And so I think in the past, first of all, it would have been a shorter period. It also would have been a less stark contrast, having their move from one side of the hut to the other or the village to now across town to a nursing home, which her mother doesn't recognize, by the way. It's also disorienting because now when she's in cognitive decline, she's supposed to figure out where she is. You can hear how complicated it is. But at a spiritual level, I think this is the dying process. I think we're reluctant to call it that. I think we'll do everything we can not to deal with the dying process, not to call it dying. But that's what this is. Her mother's leaving this world. She's got a foot in and a foot out. Partially she's here. Sometimes she's fully here, but sometimes she's fully gone. And usually it's bouncing back and forth. And one of the things Mary and I talked about is understanding that it's not, again, her true mom. There are moments of truth. There are moments when she's here. But then in those other moments, to be able to say, this isn't my mom. This is her body. This is her energy, right? That's sort of hanging around and continuously, you know, manifesting. But it's not her essence, her soul. In Kabbalah, in Jewish mysticism, there's not a soul. There's souls. There's levels. There's layers. So there's nefesh, which is our physical vitality. And that's still here until we're dead. But then there's ruach. And ruach is more of an emotional quality. And that's bouncing around right now. Here, you can feel it, but then gone and not feeling it and sort of bouncing between worlds. And then there's the next higher. There's more than that, but there's really the next one that we can talk intelligently about, nishama. And that's the piece, what we, I think we call soul or spirit. And that one's just leaves. It leaves, by the way, when we, um, when we dream at night, right? So if somebody wakes up and they're groggy and they're kind of talking, like, this is my wife, she'll just be talking, as we say in Hebrew, shtuyot, nonsense. She's not fully here. Or, or um, had a, have a daughter who used to sleepwalk and it was kind of eerie because her eyes would be open. She'd be looking at you, but nobody was home. Her neshama wasn't there or her ruach wasn't there, whatever. The layers were playing around with the next world and this world. And, and it's sort of a ladder of consciousness, right? Ask any, any anesthesiologist. They'll tell you, it's not that you're awake or you're asleep. There's, ladder of, there's a ladder of consciousness. The same is true with the spirit or spirits of us. And so what we're talking about with Joan is can she start seeing her mom in more nuance and complexity? Either she's here and she's sane or she's you know screaming and she's out of her mind as opposed to she's bouncing in and out of consciousness but also as a beautiful transitioning process because i think it gives it more perspective i think it gives it more purpose to talk about at least with others if not her mom that her mom's on a journey and you know we were talking and, and mary said to me you know it's funny because 
she started talking about my dad as if he was in the room. Well, I, I actually believe that. I think that levels of consciousness and her dad who had um, moved on to the next world was making his way into this world to start to escort her. How long that process is, well, I can't know. Uh, Mary can't know, but, um, but uh, Joan knows and she's on a journey. And so at least that higher part of herself is spending more and more time on the other side. So really starting to think about this from a deeper level, a moral level, an emotional level, a spiritual level. I've seen what's happened to Mary. She has a more nuanced approach, a more sophisticated approach, a less personalized one, a more um, noble sort of an agency, like she's remembering that she's here as an agent of her true mom, the one she made a vow with, of, of upholding that vow. And that gives it meaning because now she's taking the abuse and the heat of this version of her mom that isn't about uh, Mary anymore. It's about her upholding and defending her true mom and those wishes, those the vows she made. So it's really given it a purpose. It's been amazing to me to watch this. It's really been remarkable. And I've seen it in multiple people who I've been privileged um, and humbled to, to ask to guide through this. So if you're going through that, you have gone through it, or you, you, you maybe will go through it, um, I really encourage you, just these two things alone, to start to think about your loved one as not either here or there, as not, as not either this is my mom um, or, you know, it's not her, but there's versions, there's variations, but variations aren't the complete her. And then you got to go back in time to, to meet the true her, the one that was, is, and will always be that, that, that mom or dad or person, loved one that you knew that you are representing that you are devoted to him or her, that you are here to uphold their wishes, their will, their um, their voice in the absence of them being able to represent it for themselves, to, to really rethink the role of the vows that you have made and the vows that you are here to fulfill, to also rethink the journey that they're on. To get, This gives it infinitely more meaning and purpose, makes it far less sort of pathetic and painful, doesn't make it always easier. It doesn't make it go away, but it gives it a new perspective and a new purpose. And you're here to help escort them, to help them transition. If you're a child, then you're here to escort them to the next world like they escorted you to this one. And that's the part of the unspoken vow of parent and child. If it's a spouse, then you are here to stand by each other's side, to escort them there. And the beauty of it is, is that when it's your time, they'll be ready to escort you um, to where they are. And lastly, to speak to them to speak to your mom both here, go visit her, number one thing, go visit your loved ones in the home. Don't stop your life. Don't stop living. You owe it to them to keep living. So it is an excuse, is not ex, uh, an excuse to never go visit them, but it's also permission, not by me, but by them to have a life, to don't put it on permanent hold or complete hold um, while they go through this chapter of their life, because that's, Definitely not what they wanted from you. So to talk to them and to be with them and to speak to them here, but here's the big one, to also speak to them there because a part of them is there in the next world. Call it heaven, I call it Olam Haba, the, the next world. It doesn't matter what you call it, higher reality. And it's weird because in some ways it's easier when a loved one has died because it's black and white. Their energy has left this plane, this world, or at least you know a good part of it. Um, 
and then we can think about maybe praying to them, to, to talking to them, to connecting with them, to talking with Ariella, who's a psychic, you know, a conduit and my sister, Rebecca, who's a, who's a psychic conduit. And, um, then you would go to them, but you don't go to somebody like my, my wife or my sister while a loved one is still here. But I would argue, I would argue that the better part of them, or at least a part of them and more and more of them is moving in to that next space and place. And so if you want to connect with your mom and her wishes and her will, then maybe you don't talk to this mom who's sitting in the nursing home who can't fully receive what you have to say. Maybe you just talk to her about, you know, the Cubs because she was a Cubs fan, but to your, your true mom, the essence of your mom, that's when you turn to her in the realm beyond where she's dancing with your father and she can hear you more completely. And maybe she can communicate um, her wishes and her will while you're here executing on them. Now, I know it's complicated and confusing, but I just want to open up the conversation for you that it isn't black and white. There are very few things that are black and white, except our moral compass um, and our need to come back to that compass and um, a few other things, but certainly not the soul. It is a process, um, layers and nuance, and certainly the transition from one world to the next. And so I hope these things can help you on your journey of taking care of your loved ones, which is a beautiful vow to uphold. So um, if you like this, please um, leave me a good rating and share it with friends and family. If you want to reach out and talk about any of these issues, I do this for a living. I am a life coach. I'm an executive coach. I'm a logo therapist, meaning-centered psychotherapist. Um, and I'd be honored or privileged to at least just talk with you for one time to have a discovery call to see how I can help you on your journey to your next steps. Until the next time, defy your number, live your spirit, and jump over to Divine Spirit. Mm-hmm.